listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. You know, Kristen's mentioned 2,000 tests. I've known pharmacies that have done thousands of tests, and it's multiple six figures of additional profit that they have added to their pharmacy. And this is a big opportunity. This is a big opportunity from a clinical perspective, as Kristen was just saying, you know, that shift is happening and we need to showcase our clinical side as pharmacists, but it is a huge opportunity for your bottom line. Let's not beat around the bush here. There's money to be made and people are willing to pay cash for it. Welcome to the Becoming a Pharmacy Badass podcast, where we talk about how to diversify your revenue streams, increase your net income and optimize your operations to create the pharmacy of your dreams. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. for joining us today. I have a wonderful guest with me. Um, Kristen, go ahead and introduce yourself. All right. It's so good to be here. Thank you so much, Lisa, for having me. And hello, everybody. I am Dr. Kristen Tallett. I've been a pharmacist um, for almost 10 years now, and I started in independent retail pharmacy. That's where my love, my heart, and soul really are. Um, and excuse the nasally sound. I... <laughs> <laughs> I do have a cold. Confirmed, not COVID. I've tested myself like five times. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, again, I started an independent retail pharmacy, and that's kind of where the majority of my career as a pharmacist has been until relatively recently. I have transitioned into my own practice. I own a wellness clinic where we do functional medicine consultations and provide custom testing services. Obviously, to include COVID testing, we are a CLIA lab, and we've really dived into that um, deeply over the last year and a half or so, and it has been truly life-changing, and I actually love my career again, and it's just been incredible. I love testing in the pharmacy. I'm a test junkie myself, which probably is, that's actually what led me down the kind of functional medicine pathway, even though I don't think it was even coined that term back in the day when I first had my pharmacy. But I had tests in my pharmacy. I had the Cholestec machine and we did cholesterol and A1C and, you know, we did the cortisol testing and I, I was doing all kinds of stuff. Like I just, if it interested me personally, I put it in the pharmacy and then I was able to sell it because I was passionate about it. And so I think testing is a good revenue stream for pharmacies. It's often a cash-based revenue stream, which is, you know, kind of the golden goose for pharmacies, but you can get into billing or getting contracts and, you know, you can, you can do some more complicated things. Um, but ultimately patients will often pay cash for, for various testings. And that is true with COVID, even though you can go get free tests somewhere at some clinic, people don't want to wait that long. It's not convenient for them. You know, there's lots of reasons why they don't want the, the, the free test and they're willing to pay for it. So um, I'm so glad that you were able to fit us in and get get this 
us in there. And Kristen, this group of pharmacy owners that you're talking to are really a kind of special group of pharmacy owners. So I held a pharmacy profit summit live in Dallas last month. And these are everybody who basically came to that show. There was about 120 of them. And so they're really focused on growing the profitability of their pharmacy. And um, like I said, many of them were interested in testing, uh, you know, the little bit that we talked about it there, but definitely with questions afterwards. So, you know, everybody's going to want to understand like kind of the procedures of how to do it. And then really what what's it mean to them for the bottom line? You know, obviously we know testing can be convenient for the patient, but besides screwing up your workflow, <laughs> you know, what's in it for pharmacies and really there's, there's some profit in it for them. So I know that, uh, um, we, we kind of had some chats before, um, and in the Facebook group, people posted some questions. Um, and if you're listening to this live, feel free to post in your questions. Even if you're listening to the recording later, um, Kristen's in the group and she'll be able to see all of the questions and comments. So if we, if we completely miss something in today's session, go ahead and put it in there and we can get back to you and answer those questions. So I'm going to turn it over to you and uh, go ahead and take us away and walk us through uh, what this looks like for pharmacies. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I wanted to start off just by kind of going over some of the foundational pieces because I get a lot of the questions that I have have to do with like, what is a CLIA lab? Can I be a CLIA lab? You know, kind of some of the basic stuff. So I wanted to start there. And so First of all, I want to start with who is the governing body. The Board of Pharmacy is not the governing body of a CLIA laboratory. And I think as pharmacists, that's the very first thing that we need to understand. So if you're shifting or sending a bunch of questions to your Board of Pharmacy and they're maybe giving you the runaround or whatever, like don't be surprised by that because it this is it's kind of exploded since COVID happened. A lot of board of pharmacy don't even have any laws on um, pharmacies or pharmacists being CLIA um, owners of CLIA laboratories. And they're really, like I said, they're not the governing body. So who is? CMS, the FDA, and CDC, primarily CMS and the CDC, and like I said, the FDA. Um, so they are the governing body of CLIA laboratories. But then it does vary slightly state by state. So you do have a little bit of changes and alterations in what you can do and what you cannot do as a CLIA laboratory, depending on what state you're in. Some are a little bit more strict than others. And it's really good to understand um, like kind of where your, your state falls. But that I like to start with. And an easy way to find out kind of more information on your particular state is a simple Google search. Just type in your state and then put CLIA laboratory. Most of the time, one of the top links will pop up because um, you want to look at your state governing body for laboratories. Because if you become a CLIA laboratory, then that's really who you're under. You want to follow all the laws and everything under your state's jurisdiction for laboratories nothing pharmacy related. So I just wanted to touch on that. And then the next thing is just what does it mean to be a CLIA laboratory? So if you're applying, the very first thing that you wanna do is realize that there are actually different levels of CLIA laboratories. So you, you have waived laboratories, you have moderate, and then you have high complexity. And that's what it's based on is the complexity of the testing that you're offering and the processes behind the, um, the processing of the labs. 
So what we're talking about today and what the majority, if pretty much not all, but majority of pharmacies are offering are waived tests. They are CLIA laboratory offering waived tests. And um, what that means is that you're offering tests at the lowest complexity that a CLIA laboratory can do, which means that there's little room for error. Um, you're, it's easy to train personnel on how to do these tests. And once they're trained and you're follow, following the package insert, like I said, there's little room for error in misinterpreting either the results or messing up on how to process the test. So that's how these, um, these particular tests are able to fall under the status of waived. So that's a really foundational basic thing that you need to understand. So when, you're, when you are putting out your application and enrolling to become a CLIA laboratory, what you're doing is trying to open yourself up in order to, to offer waived tests. Um, and in most states, not all of them, but in most states, that means that you can do any test that the FDA has considered waived. So that can go, I mean, it goes way beyond COVID. Like let's say COVID stops tomorrow, even though <laughs> that's not happening. Um, you're, we're talking flu, strep, RSV, A1Cs, lipid panels, um, INRs. And then if you're interested in other things like HIV and STDs, there is a whole gamut of things that you can do. And so that really touches on what she said at the very beginning. It, it allows you the ability to bring something on that you're truly passionate about, maybe what you already see that your community needs, and you can provide that service but also make it a profitable thing for your business. And when we're passionate about things, then it just, I mean, it makes it so easy to, to sell and communicate with the patients in front of us. So it opens us up to a lot of different opportunity far and beyond COVID. But like she said, we're talking about COVID primarily today. And um, so the emphasis is primarily on diagnosing COVID with antigen and PCR tests, but then you can also do antibody tests as well for COVID. So the next question might be, well, how do I do this application? And the first thing you need is the CMS form 116. That is the, the federal form in order to become a CLIA laboratory. And then some States, again, not all, but some states have an additional application that you want to go ahead and fill out and actually send in with your CLIA application. Um, so that's something that you would want to check on for your particular state. And I actually have a free um, video. It's literally less than 15 minutes that I'll go ahead and put in the comments after we're done here that will take you through the, the CMS 116 form literally click by click, step by step, and you can go ahead and fill the application out along, right along with me. Um, and one of the things that it doesn't necessarily ask for, but I suggest that every pharmacy sends with them is the pharmacist, um, like a copy of the pharmacist license that you're using as your lab director. So when you're filling out that application, the lab director is a can be a pharmacist um, and then the other thing that I get asked is you, the address that you should put on the application. The, the address that you're giving them on your application is supposed to be the address that you'll physically be doing your testing at. 
Now there is a little caveat going on right now because of the pandemic of, I like to think of it as an opportunity, <laughs> but because of the pandemic, you actually do not have to do your COVID testing at that business address. So if your pharmacy is situated in, I don't know, like a, your location isn't ideal for testing for whatever reason, like my, I'll just give you an example. My office space that I have um, not, is not a good place for COVID testing because it would require people to come in. And also my parking lot situation isn't very good. So offering drive up service at my particular office is not really an option. So what I ended up doing because they have already put a statement out saying that um, because of the pandemic, you can kind of do your COVID testing anywhere, as long as you have your CLIA ID, um, you can team up with other businesses. Maybe you want to like pay them a couple hundred dollars to use their parking lot, or you just tag team with them and, and use part of, of their business. So I have partnered with a local gym who, and they allow us to use their site and people come and, um, utilize their parking lot and we do drive up testing right in their parking lot. So I'm just sharing that with you because that's, that's a concern that a lot of people have depending on how your business is actually uh, physically situated in the area that you're in. And so again, you how to apply, you want to fill out that CMS form 116 and then see if your state is requiring any additional application. And again, an easy way to do that is to just Google your state and then put CLIA application. It'll take you, typically it'll add um, the, top, the top couple websites will be the laboratory governing body of your particular state. And it'll have all those nuances on how you, how you apply for a CLIA certificate in your particular state. Um, so when I recently went through and did it for Texas, um, the people in the office for CLIA, because Texas was separated into regions and in zones, um, they were really helpful, like really, really helpful. It was it was the first time I like talked to somebody in the government that was like seemed enthusiastic about their job and was really helpful. So don't be afraid to reach out. Like I was expecting to kind of get a grumpy cat response, you know, but they were very helpful, responded very quickly, answered their phones promptly. You know, so if, you, if you're not sure about something in your state, um, you know, and then and then when they when I kind of finished up with them, they let me know that, hey, because of the covid, normally you have to wait to get your certificate in the mail. But now as soon as as soon as you submit your certificate, you're free to start testing like you don't have to wait. So uh, that was a, you know, a, a little tidbit that but they were really helpful. So don't don't be afraid to reach out to your agencies. Yeah, no, that's a really good point because I've had that same experience and I know others that have also had that same experience. I don't know what everybody's board of pharmacy is like, but it again, it's a it's a totally different entity. So you might get a, a little bit of a better. Yeah, it was, it was a much different experience. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing I wanted to emphasize that I forgot to mention is when you're doing your application, you actually don't have to pay the fee until you've been approved. So what I like to tell people is, and you know, we're very type A, we tend to be type A, you know, everything has to be done 100% right. Just fill out the application and send it in the mail. If, if you're missing something or you're not allowed to do it or, so, or whatever, they will send the notifications back to you and, and literally typed up like 
exactly what you need to change or whatever is is needed in order to get it approved. So it's not it's not really that big of a deal. But what happens is is the the typical process is once you send that application in, what you're waiting for tends to be about a month or so turnaround time. But because of COVID, they have expedited a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll you'll get a receipt almost stating like yes, you've been approved. Then they'll give you all of um, the directions on how you pay for that pay that fee. And then once you pay that fee, which most of the time you can do online, they then send you your actual CLIA certificate that has your CLIA ID on it. And like she said, a lot of times you, so before you had to wait until you got that certificate in order to start testing, some states have kind of lifted that mandate too. But I'll tell you when my, just my personal experience and other people that I do know, once you get that approval, it um, the, them sending you your certificate typically happens within like a week or two. It's a pretty quick turnaround time with once you pay your fee. Yeah. I know the number one question that I get, and I'm sure you probably do too, is you have to list the tests that you're going to test yes. for on your application. And yes. what I tell people, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I say list everything. Like anything you think you might ever test. And so what I did is I just Googled FDA waived test and, you know, some website had a list and I literally copied and pasted and fit, you know, shrink, shrunk the font (laughs) and fit it all in that box. So there was like literally every test that I can think of. I mean, my pharmacy is not doing HIV right now, but I could see in the future where we do that, you know, and, and all these other things. And, and RSV is a, is a, big one right now because so many kids are coming out with RSV not COVID um and but don't be afraid like you're not you're not paying for tests you're not you know there's no restrictions other than if you're going to do it it has to be on your your application and and the whole you have to go through it again if you want to add a test and so it's really better just to put that work up front and figure out what you might be interested in and just put it all in there is that your suggestion yeah, it, it kind of is. So, uh, so that's what I typically tell people. But I also want to say, if that's going to stop you from putting your application in the mail, then list yeah. your COVID test and ship it out because I don't want that to be like the the fact that back, it holds yeah. you back. Yeah, I mean, you're losing weeks because you're thinking about what you want to offer. Um, most states make it very easy for you. It's a, called a change form. You literally can just add tests remove tests, change your address, whatever it is that you need to do. Um, and so and they do make it easy to make adjustments once you already have your CLIA ID. Yeah. But yeah, like if you're not sure what COVID antigen tests you want to do or COVID, like just list them all. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, you don't know what's going to be in stock or available, like especially in the beginning when things were exactly. running out, um, that was, that was an issue of, you know, what's in stock. So yeah, that was a major issue. And a lot of places are saying that that's not going to be an issue this year, but I, I'm not really, not really sure what that's going to look like. Um, but the, the link that I'll put in the comments later is actually the old CMS form. So the only change is that in the section that you're talking about, where you're actually listing your, your tests that you want to offer, it kind of sections it off into what you're testing. So on the left-hand side, you want to put what you're testing. So for example, COVID, and then in the center, it wants to know the brand name of the test. So again, let's say I'm doing COVID PCR, brand name of the test. Right now I'm using Acula, 
which is um, a really good quality PCR that delivers results in 30 minutes. And then on the right-hand side, you would want to put the manufacturer that actually makes that test. And I want to say it's Mesa Biotech or something. But if that gets anybody tripped up, that's how you organize um, that particular part of the CLIA application. Um, so if you have any questions as we're talking, please don't hesitate to put the questions in the chat and we'll address those as we continue. But space requirements, you don't need a lot of space. You literally can do all of this testing off of a, like a two by three cart, literally. Like I do all of our testing on a metal cart that has three levels on it. And then we store um, a lot of our PPE or whatever other supplies we need to test right in like plastic drawers on the cart. You don't need a large space. These analyzers and the machines, if you pick a test that needs a dock or an analyzer, they're not large. You, I mean, it's, it's something that you can, sim you can do on literally at your pharmacy in just a small counter space. Designate that to testing and, and everything can kind of sit there. And then you, you do have extra stock as you start ordering supplies, you know, PPE and tests and whatnot, but you don't need a big space at all in order to provide these, um, these tests to your community. And the, the one thing I also like to talk about is how to determine what tests to offer because there are a bunch and, you know, availability is huge. Obviously price is another factor that you want to take into consideration, but also sensitivity and specificity. There are a lot of tests out there that have a really bad sensitivity. So a sensitivity is pretty much telling you your false negative rate. So if I have a sensitivity of 84%, that means that 16% of the time my negative tests are actually wrong. So that's almost one in five. That's, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of people. And so when you're trying to decide what tests to bring on, it's good to understand what it is that um, this test is actually going to deliver so that you can have those conversations with patients when they ask, first of all, because they're, they're going to ask. And um, also, too, that you can be confident about the product that you're offering. So, and then the specificity for, especially for the rapid tests, they tend to be, the specificity, which is the false positive rate, tends to be a lot, um, a lot less of a margin. So you might have a zero or 1% chance of a positive being incorrect with a lot of the tests. Now that can go down to maybe like 5%, depending on what you purchase, but Again, it's just good to understand the test that you're offering. And a very easy way to find that information is just by looking up that um, particular manufacturer's tests, um, package insert. They all have package inserts and they have all of that information right in the package inserts. There's also so, some really great organizations out there that have put together some tables. I've seen like when I've just Googled, you know, I Google specificity care starts or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've found some really good tables out there. Um, I haven't really saved them per se or download cause you know, things were changing a lot, uh, uh, when I, when I was first getting my pharmacy set up, but, and, you know, use Google <laughs> and, and find that stuff. But there are some ones that have put together some nice tables. So we did have a couple of questions come through, um, that kind of relates to right now. And, um, I know one of the biggest questions is where can I get these tests? Where, where's the best place to order? Um, you'd mentioned the Acula. Um, I've used CareStart before. 
but there's there's probably even you know other brands and then like you said there's the there's kind of three different tests well not kind of there is three different tests there's the pcr the antigen and the antibody and so maybe after you answer this question you can kind of go into what's the difference between the three and why you might want to offer all three or maybe not offer all three um but yeah so people want to know where can they get the tests so you just like when you buy your drugs you have mckesson cardinal whoever else it is that you use um same thing with tests you have different manufacturers and they're pretty much medical supply companies so some of the ones that i so mckesson is one of them if you already use them you might be able to just you know very easily order from them um henry shine is another supplier um, who else do I use? There's a company called Wilburn Medical. Uh, they are very easy to order through and have been great whenever I'm ordering my care start tests. And who else do I use? Thermo Fisher is another, another company. So what happens is, is these tests are the manu- the actual manufacturer of these tests pick certain companies in order to actually be their distributor. So that's what happens is if there's a new test that's coming out, you want to find out from the actual company that's making the test who their distributors are. And then you can go to their distributors and find out, ask your questions, pricing, and you know what does it take to create an account and so on and so forth. Because not every company that I just listed offers all of the tests that I offer, um, but you can also see some duplicated too. And then to that point, your prices can vary. And um, what's nice, the one thing that is nice is that we're so used to creating these contracts behind our drug pricing when it comes to these companies. 99% of the time, unless you're actually contracting directly with one of the manufacturers of the tests, you're not creating any kind of contract. You're literally creating a business account and purchasing your tests. So there isn't any, you know, spend minimum or anything like that. I mean, you literally can purchase your test, which is nice. So, and to that point, if you, it's a, it's a little bit the wild, wild west. You can negotiate your prices. I was so. going to say, it, it, you can, I was going to say, you negotiate your price. Like they first yes. offer, you know, I remember it was like $22 a test and it was like, oh, $19 a test. Oh, $15. Oh, 12. We'll give it to you for 12. And I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm at a used car lot here. And yeah, exactly. I was just about to say, <laughs> it's like, well, car dealership A told me that they would give them to me for $17.50. Can you beat that or at least match that? I mean, they, it's all day long. So if you just communicate with, if you're just nice, you know, you approach it the right way, then a lot of times you can really kind of knock some dollars off of each test. Yeah, I was, I'm so glad you brought that up because I I was like, don't be afraid to negotiate and don't be afraid to like, hey, well, if I buy this other test from you, like what can I, you know, what is the combined discount that I can get? And, you know, because um, you're exactly right. So there's manufacturers of these tests and most manufacturers are not going to create a distribution agreement with a pharmacy because you're just not buying enough. They want to be able to sell it. And I've talked to a lot of these guys, especially um, in in the first six months or so of this, but they want to sell full pallets or full truckloads or, you know, that kind of thing, which is way beyond the scope um, that pharmacies are typically looking at, unless you're trying to sell, like I had a couple of pharmacies that were interested in that when they were selling for like school 
um, they were selling to like a school district or something like that, where, you know, somebody wanted to buy hundred thousand tests, you know, for a County or something like that. So sometimes pharmacies can get into that. And if you do get into that, reach out to me, I'm happy to help you like on that kind of distribution model. I have a really great contact, um, that does a lot of that, but it's, it's very large orders. So typically who you're looking for is that distributor or that wholesaler that you want to think about, which they can then piece it out by the box, by the case, you know, in, in much smaller quantities. And that's, that's where their specialty is. So that's typically who you're looking for. Most manufacturers only have a handful of distributors. Um, and they'll, it's usually either freely available on their website, or like you said, call them up and get that list, um, out there. So, um, and I, and I would recommend you guys, as you guys are in this group and you're and many of you are like starting this, like post in the group, like, Hey, I just got, you know, 1250 or 15, you know, 25 for my test from this person. And, you know, that sometimes that can even be negotiated as a group rate. Like if you're talking to somebody say, Hey, I'm in a group with a bunch of pharmacy owners that are testing, you know, what could be our group price and, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, and I'm even happy to jump on and help, you know, negotiate that with you. So don't be afraid, like you said, negotiate, ask for lower, ask what minimums need to be to hit certain pricing. Um, you know, that it's, it is a little bit of the wild, wild west, but it really comes out in your favor if you go for it. So. Oh, absolutely. And I like what you said about in your group, because we're all kind of in this together and like, when you talk to people, it ends up, you can help one person, they can help you. It goes back and forth. Like I was talking to somebody several months ago and they were like, oh, I'm getting my Acula test for $65. And I, I was paying 95. So, <laughs> I was like, Shit. so <laughs> then, so what I ended up doing is I reached out to one of the, whole, the distributors and I said, this is how you should word it. What are, sorry. I'm, Sirens. <laughs> um, what is your price on the Acula tests? So then this person quoted me 55. She gave me the group rate instead of what should have been like 65 or 75. And they honored it. So you just never know what's going to happen um, until you ask. Yeah. yeah. So can you touch really quick on the differences between the tests, the PCR, yeah. the antigen antibody, and Absolutely. you know why somebody would offer one or the other? Um, so, yeah, so the antigen test is a little bit, so number one, that's the rapid test. When people are talking about these rapid tests, you get the results in 10 minutes most of the time, depending on the test. Um, and that's, that's giving you quick results and their false positive rate is super low. So if you get a positive on an ant, a rapid test, more than likely that's a correct positive. The only caveat to that is that there's a little bit of a, of a higher false negative when it comes to these rapid tests. So like the example I said earlier, if you're seeing like a 16% chance of that false negative, that's, those are because they're um, like more than likely it's an antigen test. And so those are kind of like the top things that you should be looking at or the different, you know, what makes it an antigen test. Also, whenever you're talking about antigen versus PCR, it's how the test is actually delivering the positive or negative. And most of these COVID tests, if, if not maybe all of them, um, are qualitative. Um, so they're literally just telling you positive or negative. It's not actually telling you a viral load or, or anything like that. So the other thing with the antigen test is they're a much cheaper test. So at this point, and this was not the same last year, last year they're running about 20 bucks a test. Now you can get them for less than $10 a test. Mm -hmm. So 
that's the antigen and we whole we um retail for personally we do 129 a good way to figure out how much you want to sell your tests for is call some local urgent care places and tell them you don't have any insurance and ask how much their tests are so it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna be about give or take 150 to 200 dollars depending on what kind of test they're doing so um the next test is a pcr test and that is the gold standard of testing, especially, you know, we're in the height of COVID, it's coming back again, you know, the swing is happening again. Um, and so everybody knows that these PCR tests have been touted for being better, but what they don't realize is that you have the ability to have a PCR test that can deliver results in 30 minutes versus two days, three days, four days. When we start getting to the height of things again, if, it, if it's anything like last year, 10 and 14 day turnaround times because these labs are overwhelmed. You, The Acula by Mesa Bio is a PCR test that processes in 30 minutes. So each dock that you purchase delivers, can process one test every 30 minutes. So if you get yourself multiple docks, then you, that's, that just determines the amount of volume that your particular pharmacy would be able to manage. But with a PCR test, you're getting better accuracy. So for that particular test, the likelihood of a positive being wrong is like maybe 1%. The likelihood of a negative being wrong is about 3%. So, I mean, we're talking really great accuracy and confidence behind that PCR test. And there are other companies out there, but those right now, um, are widely available and the price point is really good. So like I said, I'm probably paying and you might even be able to get it lower depending on your volume or if you guys are able to put a group rate together, about $50 per test is what I'm um, paying for the PCR and we're retailing that for $199. And uh, it's, I mean, look at that margin. It's, it's enormous. And, and to that point though, the, when you're a Clio laboratory doing weight only testing, you do not have any personnel requirements. So if one of your hesitations is that you don't want to swap people, you didn't become a pharmacist because you don't want to swap people, well, don't swap people. Just have one of your other people swap. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be a technician. Like you might have a really great cashier or front end personnel or you know what I mean? Somebody looking for a couple hours a week. Bring them in, train them appropriately, document that you've trained them, and they can literally administer these tests for you. Um, and then the other one is an antibody test. So the antigen that I mentioned first and the PCR, those are diagnostic tests. Those are ones that we are finding out if the person has COVID or not when you're doing that test. The antibody test is looking at antibodies to see if they've been in contact with COVID in the past. So they're not sick, they're not curious if they're currently infected. They wanna know if they have any protection, like immune protection against COVID. Um, or maybe they don't want to get the vaccine or something, then you can go ahead and look at antibodies. Even then, I don't tend to speak in very black and white terms when it comes to this. So if I get a negative result, you know, you're negative at this time. Um, that's one thing that I say. And I also let them know that it means that you more than likely don't have COVID. But you know what I mean? You can't guarantee yeah. anything. Yeah, no, I, there's there's not enough studies. I mean, yeah. frankly, COVID hasn't been around long enough for us to know right. what antibodies are out there. And then you get into 
T cells and memory cells. And, you know, the immune system is much more than antibodies, um, no matter on what side, like you said, of the aisle that you're on. And the fact that you have antibodies, we don't really know what that means. And the fact that you don't, we don't really know what that means. But hey, people are curious and they want to know. Um, and that's a-okay. We're here to give you the test, you know, to help you with that. So I'm so glad that you brought up the fact that it does not have to be the pharmacist. Yes. So many people ask, like, can my text do this? And it's like, Actually, like you said, as a, as a waved lab, it's trained personnel. Like it's, it is, it's, it's kind of a vague term, but well, what does training mean? Do I have to send them off? No, you just have to document. So document, you know, I, Lisa Faust as you know, the laboratory director for my pharmacy has verified that Mary Smith and Jack Jones have taken the tests and have shown that they could do these tests on this day. You know, everybody signs and that's your, that's your source of documentation. And now Mary and Jack can go do the testing for you. And so um, it doesn't have to be, um, and there's so many pharmacists that are looking for like side gigs, <laughs> you know, that's kind of yes. the thing. Um, you know, if you need somebody and you don't know, like there's a pharmacist moms group, there's a ton of like state local job groups, like just post on there, like, hey, we're, we're willing to pay you kind of part-time or per diem or whatever, you know, to come in and do that. Or, you know, there's just so many different ways to do that. So um, I'm very glad that you brought that up because that was definitely one of the questions that I know that people had asked before. Um, yeah. So speaking of diagnostics, so you mentioned the PCR and the <clears throat> antigen. Um, what are the, the reporting requirements? And this is going to vary a bit by state by state, I understand. Um, but what are the reporting requirements for somebody doing those diagnostic tests? Because on the antibody test, there is no reporting requirement because, again, you're not diagnosing somebody with COVID. But for the PCR and the antigen, there are there mandates federally or does it, it, does it vary by state by state? Yeah, my experience is that it varies state by state. Um, so it's definitely something you want to be aware of with regard to your reporting requirements. And my state is that you have to report your results to our state database within 24 hours. So we have a process in place that we have somebody who does all of the reporting at the end of every single day. It's just part of your closeout of your pharmacy is, is what you could do. Um, and again, it, it's all going into a state database. And then you also want to make sure you're, documenta you're documenting that those people have actually been reported to the state. And another reason to do this is because I actually got audited. So, <laughs> and hey, then, one more like, type of audit. <laughs> CMS contacted me um, for, from my state and they said, we want to do a, an audit on, and we want to make sure you're reporting. We want your standard operating procedure for reporting and we want proof that you're actually reporting. And thank my lucky stars above, because what we were doing is uh, we do everything through a patient portal. So people, patients book through the patient portal, they fill out their questionnaire through the patient portal, they pay through the patient portal, um, we send the results through the patient portal, and then we're even able to put internal notes in there. So we have, we just ironically had been putting our internal note, you know, that our reporting had been done for that patient. And the way our system is set up, it timestamps it, date, time, and the person who created that internal note. So we were easily able to send that over, but 
Um, you definitely want to document and keep proof that you are following your particular state's reporting requirements. I, I was shocked that they reached out to me, but she said she had 2% of, of, <laughs> of laboratories in my state that she needed to audit. So I was one of the 2%. That's what you get for being popular, Kristen. Um, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, so what we did in our pharmacy, just to kind of give you, we we weren't super fancy in having a patient portal, but um, is we just got the Avery labels, you know, like those address Avery labels and created a Word doc and put in, you know, pre, pre-filled out forms. So then when somebody did it, all they had to do was like sign and date and stick that on the patient questionnaire and um, cause we're in Texas and Texas, you got to upload. And I don't know, cause I'm, I'm not the pharmacist or the tech that does it, but you know, there is a reporting requirement that it has to be uploaded in, in so many days. And so that was kind of their documentation. Cause we had a bunch of different, especially in the height of it, we had a bunch of different people doing it. So that way that sticker was really more for internal, like, Hey, this one was already done. You don't have to do it. You know, it was really, but, but like you said, it, it does come back and help you in, in case of that. So um, Eric has a great follow-up question about, um, proof of documentation you give to patients. So either the documentation that you give to them as a negative or positive, like, is there any requirements around that, that documentation? I don't think that there are any requirements to be honest with you, but there's like a a typical standard that people tend to follow, you know, um, so what's included in my results documentation is obviously whether they're positive or negative and what test was done, their name and date of birth. Um, you obviously want your patient identifiers. And then what, what is a positive or what does a negative mean? And then it's always good to link some additional resources for that patient to go ahead and reference if they need any more information. I mean, you're always safe with a CDC and FDA or your local state links. That's pretty much what I stick to and, or your local health department. Um, and then you do want to make sure your CLIA ID is on there and your contact information. Um, and then whenever you start getting involved in PCR testing, it actually opens up a whole other opportunity to test, help people who are traveling. So, um, that has been huge this summer, especially. And when it comes to traveling, there's a couple other nuances that you need to be aware of because they, it varies, um, depending on the destination that people are going to. Yes. I've, I've heard those horror stories of people landing in Hawaii and not having the right test or the right work yes. and they have to fly back, get tested and then fly back. I'm just like, that is ludicrous. Like I just don't <laughs> understand that, but uh, they're, they're out there. So there's weird requirements. So you want to yes. make sure that you, so if you have somebody and they're traveling, it's very important to ask that, where are you traveling to? What are, what are the restrictions and make sure that you do give them anything that's special because normally your testing proof, it really could just be a simple piece of paper. I recommend doing it on pharmacy letterhead because that kind of takes all the requirements of like your contact information and makes it look a little more official. But I've had friends who've gotten just looks like somebody just typed it up on a typewriter and it looks like, I mean, it's just a plain piece of paper that basically just says what, what you put on there. So it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to follow any formal, you know, form or, or say anything in particular. Um, to follow back up on the reporting requirements, um, Sarasha had asked if there's a way to simplify it. 
Um, so I'm not really sure, you know, I think that's too, a little bit too vague of the differences of the farm, uh, the states, you know, sometimes if you put it in an Excel file, you can upload a CSV or something like that. I think Sarasha, it's going to depend a little bit on the state that you're in and, and how their portal or interface works. I do know that some PMS software systems and some systems like prescribed wellness, um, and some of the other like clinical based programs or the EHR systems can have some connectivity um, or APIs behind the scenes and share that information. Um, but you're just gonna have to dig into it with any software that you use and your state's portal to know whether or not if they integrate with, with anybody, so. Yeah, that's a great point. And um, to touch on that, just to share you, with you what we do is I actually schedule out a full month I have a couple of people that do my reporting like that's they they've just been assigned. They're cool with it. And so I schedule out a full month that if I have you on a particular day, that means you're handling the reporting from that day's um, worth of patients. And what we can do in the patient portal that I use is you can filter the day. So you're only seeing the patients from today. And then you go patient by patient and look at the internal notes and all the documentation and use that to report, notate that you have reported, move on to the next person, notate that you were, and they could do it from home. It's not like you have to do it yeah. in the pharmacy. I was gonna say, you know, and at the Pharmacy Profit Summit, we had a, a session about virtual assistants and this could be yes. something that would be perfect for a virtual assistant type, you know, whether, you know, you don't have to go full blown and get somebody from the Philippines. You can just get somebody who's looking to work from home. Maybe they have a kid whose daycare is closed and they're, they're willing to do some computer work um, for you. And the fact that, you know, most of these testing requirements have 24 or 48 hour, you know, reporting requirements. So just schedule them, you know, on every weekday from, you know, two hours a day it could be while their kids napping or playing or whatever. And, you know, and, and you're just, and they go in there, like you said, and they have the documentations, they have access to your system and they go in. Now, whenever you do use somebody like that, you want to make sure that they meet all the other requirements of like HIPAA and if you know what access they're getting to. So you want to make sure that you put them all through that. But this is a perfect example of using a virtual assistant or remote type of, of work. Uh, you know, some even some technicians and things, you know, if they do come down sick or maybe they're quarantining or something, this is perfect work at home types of activities that they can be doing um, that will help make all of your testing easier, so. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, let's see, Truman asked about operating procedures. So you, you mentioned earlier, like when you had your audit, they wanted to see your standard operating procedures. Um, as I know you have a course that kind of walks pharmacy owners like through like this whole process. Do you also kind of give them some templates for some of those? Um, SOPs, I know, I know myself when I first started creating SOPs, I used to get so nervous because I thought they had to be like this, you know, manual. And really I found out that it's just, Hey, this is what we do. And you're just documenting it. And so I, I've learned to become very comfortable with SOPs, but I, I know that fear. So tell us a little bit about like what other resources you got, you have to help pharmacies make this as like turnkey as possible. Absolutely. So Yes, as part of the course, I have a whole, what I, what I call is the compliance binder. So it has like your SOPs, it has your training materials that you're gonna need. It has um, other policies and procedures, how to do the tests, what else you'll need, like as you add additional tests in the future, it's pretty much like all your paperwork, 
your binder that you would pull out if CMS were ever to come into your pharmacy. And it's like 40 or 50 pages. And um, it just really outlines all of that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, standard operating procedures, it sounds scary. It sounds like it has to be like some legal document, you know, that none of us really even like to deal with. But yes, I provide a template. It's nothing. Um, we kind of overcomplicate it. So I, it's a very simple template, but it does the job and it will help so that whenever you're training people, uh, instead of getting the same question, every time you hire a new person or somebody's trying to fill in, it'll literally outline what they should and shouldn't be doing. So, um, but that's why I called my course the plug and play point of care testing profit program, because <laughs> it is plug and play. Like this isn't just one of those courses that's going to kind of like help you scratch the surface. And then you're left with 5,000 more questions. I have spent so much time and effort navigating these waters and I see all the value um, that we're able to provide as pharmacists to our local communities. And I, like I said earlier, like I love independent pharmacy and, and it's struggling right now. Like we, we have to get very creative. Um, but if testing is something that you're interested in, this course will take you through application, through setup, what office supplies you want, what tests you should order, who to order them from, um, all the way down to policies and procedures, how to train your people, how to answer your phone. Um, and then if you even wanted the same patient portal that I use, it's, it's very cost effective and it automates the whole thing so that you're not answering a million questions or trying to, you know, book appointments over the phone. It, it's super easy. Um, and then that results documentation that we were just talking about, that's electronically sent to them right through the patient portal too. So I, we don't touch paper. Um, unless we have somebody who comes, you know, and they're, they literally can't fill everything out. That's a different story, but, um, I mean, they're few and far between. And so I, I would love for, for people who are interested in it to take me up on the opportunity to do the course. Um, your, your revenue potential and the ability for you to help your local community kind of get through what we're anticipating as the, the next wave is, is absolutely huge. Um, I mean, to, to give you guys some numbers, we did about 2000 tests last season. Um, that, I mean, that's enormous. That's what could that make your whole pharmacy look like? If you're, if your margin if your average margin per test is about $125, what does that, what does that look like for your pharmacy? And even if it's not testing, if I can give a little bit of a, a pep talk, like we, um, we're in this shift right now, right? As pharmacies um, and really as pharmacists, but especially independent pharmacies, they're trying to squeeze us out. Um, and it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. But what testing does is that it gives you the opportunity to show your community that you are able to do other things than dispense medication. And then they can start looking at you as a health hub. And that is where your pharmacy needs to go. And if that scares you, that's okay. Because there's so many people out there that want to help. You learn all of these things. It's not complicated. It's just stuff that maybe we're not familiar with. But as soon as they start looking at you as a health hub, and they're paying you cash for a service, 
you're answering your phone, your appointments run on time, you deliver their results quickly. You, you know what I mean? You're accessible. Once they start doing that, you can start bringing in all kinds of other services, like whatever it is that you want to turn your pharmacy into, you can, this opens that door, whether it's functional medicine consultations, pharmacogenomics, maybe you're interested in chronic care management or remote patient monitoring, like all of these things are lucrative additions to what you're already doing. So you can become a health hub that also dispenses medication, not we dispense medication and we might do a couple of these other things. Yep. So find what you're passionate about and, and just get it going because there is opportunity. It's just requiring a huge shift right now. Yep. Oh man, you, you're speaking my language. I love <laughs> PGX testing and RPM. And I mean, I, all the acronyms yes. I am all for it. That's what I'm always telling pharmacy owners is, you know, it's never been tougher right now in pharmacy, but there's also never been as much opportunity as there is now. Like I truly firmly believe that, that there's more ways to make money now than there were last year, you know, and, and the year before. And, and, you know, the, the PBMs are getting tighter and tighter, but that doesn't mean that you have to, like you just shift a little bit and, and it's going to feel weird. We're all doing new things. Anytime you do something new, it certainly does. Um, so as we kind of wrap it up today and Kyle did post that, um, uh, Beth did post her samples of negative and positive letters in the group. So there's some, there's some examples in there from Beth. Thank you for sharing those. And, um, uh, feel free, you know, for everybody to ask, you know, people, what are they charging? Uh, you know, Kristen gave what she's charging for people. Your community might be higher, might be lower, you know, it, it is kind of local. So I think her advice on calling urgent care and saying, Hey, I think I might have COVID. I don't have insurance. How much do you do charge um, is the perfect way to do a little uh, reconnaissance and find out what your local going rate is because you don't want to undersell yourself. Don't wow. just stick a $59 price tag on there um, <laughs> when you could get 99. I mean, there's, there's, that's a big difference and it means a lot in terms of margin. And when you really start getting this going, um, you know, Kristen's mentioned 2000 tests. I've known pharmacies that have done thousands of tests and it's multiple six figures of additional profit that they have added to their pharmacy. And this is a big opportunity. This is a big opportunity from a clinical perspective as Kristen was just saying, you know, that shift is happening and we need to showcase our clinical side as pharmacists, but it is a huge opportunity for your bottom line. Let's not beat around the bush here. There's money to be made and people are willing to pay cash for it. And you don't have to worry with all the paperwork of billing and, and all of that. So, and we'll post all the links um, to everything that Kristen just said. I know many of you are probably like, yes, I want the, <laughs> I want the step-by-step -step profit plan for, for testing. Um, and again, this goes beyond COVID. Yes attract people in, you know, my marketing hat I'll put on, attract people into your pharmacy with COVID, which is what they're interested in now, but offer other things, make sure you get their contact information, add them to your email list, you know, let them know, sell them supplements when they're in there getting tested, even if they're negative, they're concerned about their health, you know, get them on some antioxidants, get them on vitamin D, like use this opportunity to drive traffic with people that are willing to pay you money for valuable recommendations and services and products that they want. So um, I think that's about it for today. We'll give you uh, five minutes back of your day. And thank you so much, um, Dr. Kristen, for joining us and sharing your knowledge. 
And um, I just really appreciate, I know you've helped so many pharmacies and I'm so excited for the people in this group to get a little bit of your awesomeness into their pharmacy. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me and not to like hijack the end, but I just want to let everybody know that I don't even have a pharmacy. And over the last 10 months, we're approaching $600,000. Like if you did one test a day at $200 a test, that is 60, I'm sorry, 6,000 extra dollars of revenue in your pharmacy. If you literally did one, <laughs> one, <laughs> literally one, <laughs> one test a day. So, I mean, what could that look like? It's huge. And so um, for everybody in this group, I'll post the link to the course if you're interested, but I'm also going to give you guys a promo code. So if you use and purchase, you'll get an extra 15% off if you buy um, by the end of the day on Friday. So all the way through Friday, you'll get a 15, an additional 15% off the course. And I'll also put my email in there if you guys have any questions or you want to book an additional call. Um, if you have to answer any questions, I'm here. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That's very generous of you. And thank you. Thank you really for sharing your time and your expertise and, and pouring into the group that I know you're going to. So I really appreciate it. Thank you everybody for joining and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you have a more profitable pharmacy for free. One, join my free group at lisasrxgroup.com. Two, get the latest strategies at diversifyrx.com forward slash blog. Three, watch helpful videos at lisasyt.com. Four, hit that subscribe button and please be sure to leave us a five-star review so we can help more pharmacy owners and bring those insights back to you. Becoming a Pharmacy Badass is proud to be a part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.